Hello and welcome to From the Platform, this is episode 5. I'm Tom. This is Naomi. And we are following on from Aquinas, who has set out a worldview which separates the supernatural from the natural. And we're going to follow that through now to heliocentrism, the Black Death and the Protestant Reformation. I'm going to try and hit those three markers mm-hmm. today because they're all hugely important. Heliocentrism being the idea that the Earth revolves around the Sun and not the Sun around the Earth. The Black Death being a famous plague and the Protestant Reformation being a famous reformation. <laughs> famous plague. <laughs> one, of the, one of the celebs. <laughs> it's got its own TikTok. Imagine that. Oh, horrible. <laughs> the Black Death TikTok account. So just to recap a little bit more from the last episode then, we looked at how Aquinas, uh, with the rediscovery of Aristotle and all that logical and rational thinking, kind of throws a spanner in the works of what had gone previously, which was kind of more of a mystical way of understanding the world. And that's what Augustine brought in. He was able to kind of pull together a narrative for your life, a way in which you understood the rules of how things worked in the world, And how you could kind of level up and transcend and ascend into like more saintly, more saintliness. Mm -hmm. That's the right word. And I used the analogy of the computer game last time as well. That kind of idea, like it's this encapsulated world in which everything kind of fits together. And that computer game kind of gets uh, a big glitch and 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 it breaks with the arrival of Aquinas' rediscovery of Aristotle. So what Aquinas okay. does is he says, okay, there's two games. One is one is the natural world in which you can play the game of being a regular person. You don't have to have any faith in God. And it, it, it so happens that we've found these people who don't have any Christian faith, but they are able to also level up themselves and understand how the world works and have this narrative and these rules that gives them purpose and meaning in life. So there's that kind of natural world. But then there's also the supernatural world, which is where you get revelation from God and you can have more mystical experiences and there's a set of rules and a way of being in that world which is different and that's your kind of that's where church happens and the the natural world is where just like everything else happens and this is the beginnings of the separation of church and state we'll start to see that kind of cleave apart as we move through this episode so i get really puzzled between the three big a's you've got augustine Aquinas and Aristotle. Mm-hmm. So Augustine came along and he brought a sort of like kind of mystical ideas that, yeah, you can sort of ascend to heaven literally, but also kind of metaphorically in your life. Like you, you can have mystical experiences. Mm. People become saints. You, you heighten your, your level of consciousness mm. and, and have a greater awareness and like these moments of insight that are given to you by, by God and are revealed to you that then make you look out into the world with a whole new mode and way of being and you can equate that to kind of like if you're in a computer game and you upgrade your sword into a bigger sword and it's like great now i can go out into the world and i can i can act in the world with with a greater amount of utility and meaning and purpose Mm -hmm. and with that sword analogy often in computer games the sword is like descends down to the character and they upgrade and it's like boom level five and then but neoplatonism is also like as a swordsman you need to learn to how to use that sword you need to kind of 
conform to its power and ability. So it's 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 top down in that it's like descends to you, but bottom up in that you have to like be trained to and responsible in the way that you use it. And what we'll see later with Luther is that an, an emphasis shifts in that because with Neoplatonism it's a kind of a both and, but there's a shift with Luther and the Protestant Reformation uh, in a particular direction, which we'll which we'll talk about later. But it's all kind of one thing, like church and life is all the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, so it makes me think as well, because all these things we're talking about as the precursors up to the Protestant Reformation mm. are things when, like, society really changes as well. So, anyway, we've got Augustine, who comes with those ideas. And then Aquinas comes a thousand years later and reintroduces the other A, Aristotle, mm-hmm. who everyone has sort of forgotten about. And it's all the kind of Eastern stuff. No, yes, no. It's rediscovered in the East and it comes from Greece, which is East of us. Mm-hmm. But it's not like Eastern as in like m- mystical Eastern, like Buddhist thinking. It's Greek rational, deductive, mm-hmm. logical thinking. Which was Aristotle. Yes. Yes, so Aquinas comes and, oh, okay, now I get it. I think because I'm, I'm thinking East, I'm thinking mystical. Mm-hmm. This is what has led the Arabic worlds to have such Good mathematics, right, geometry, cool. architecture, mm-hmm. like and and culture, like and maths and maths, yeah, yeah. yeah. all of cool. this is okay. happening over in the in Arabic world, and it's it meant their culture has like absolutely thrived. And so when the the Crusades go over there, they're like, well, how the heck have they done this? Mm. Like that they, they obviously haven't had a Christian revelation. Yeah. Oh, it's not just us then that mm-hmm. that are kind of given these and actually things. we're a bit rubbish yeah yeah, yeah yeah okay so that's easier in my head now so aquinas arrives and he has rediscovered or he's heard of aristotle and he's planting the seeds of like logic and deduction of mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. and also this sort of paradox that actually you can not believe in our god and not be involved in this world which is completely intertwined with church and your faith mm-hmm. and actually you seem to get on fine actually you seem to live really well yeah, so the idea that actually ways, now there's better than us yeah so now there's two different ways of looking at the world you've got all the supernatural stuff that's still there mm-hmm. but actually you can just then just get on you do have your normal life as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and i wonder does this also start to come along when um yeah there's more social movement as well we'll come to that yeah cool so what I want to tap into next is, yeah, so this this mystical worldview puts Earth at the very centre of it. But this new mathematics that is coming back into Western thinking through Aristotle is an, enables, first of all, the idea that the, the Earth isn't static, it's spinning mm-hmm. on an axis. And this is all through astronomy. Astronomy, yeah. yeah. And there's some there's some history as to the, the first ideas of this. There's actually a Greek thinker um, called uh, Aristarchus. And then there's a guy called Nicole Oresma. And he posited heliocentrism 160 years before Copernicus, who's most famous for proposing heliocentrism. And also the idea that the Earth revolves around its axis. But he says it, it couldn't be the case, though, because the Bible says the Earth is static. Mm-hmm. which is kind of telling of the kind of rationalism that seeps into how you read the Bible 
as well as how you attend to the world. It's not just this this rationalism and this deduction and logic isn't just being applied to the natural world. It's being applied to like the Bible itself. And this is like the first telltale signs of of something that's going to come up after Protestantism and impact our community a lot. Mm. But can I just check what's the opposite of that then? So is the idea maybe previous to that it was a more kind of loose, well everything's supernatural and everything is just part of a big kind of I'm not yeah, I'm just thinking what's the opposite of finding something out? I'm thinking that it's opposite to the Bible. What would you have done previous to that with your thinking rather than say? Well, I don't think there was much finding out about anything <laughs> anyway but so this this comes down to a, f- a phrase that's quite tricky to get my head around you would have had it had the idea that i've got knowledge about the world i know some things so how must the world work in order for me to have have that knowledge so you start with your knowledge so Plato does this, remember, we talked about it, with the idea that there are the the universal forms up in the heavens. How do how do I know about these universals? How do I know that, that all these chairs are chairs? And Plato says, mystically, okay, in order for me to know that, in another life I must have had this experience Mm. i must have gained this knowledge so he he creates some sort of mystical narrative in order to understand how we know about why all chairs are the uh, Mm. chairs but aristotle says no we we know what a universal is because of all the particulars and how we experience them and their commonalities just through experiencing them we haven't we haven't kind of had some prior knowledge revealed to Mm. us from another life that we're remembering so previously to logic and rationality there was this kind of just this way of like you make up kind of almost like a myth Mm. about how you come to understand it in this way okay and and there are some truths in those myths but those truths are not they're not rational truths they're kind of they're myth- mythological truths. They're mm. kind of experienced truths. They tap into a different way of knowing about something. It's so bizarre to think about different ways of of thinking and learning. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, difficult yeah. to get your head around that there was once... So now everything we do is like, oh, well, you know, you look at it scientifically and you say, yeah, is that yeah, true? Yeah, Compare yeah. it to another thing that I know is true and see mm-hmm, if it's mm-hmm. see if it works. The idea that there was once n- not that way of thinking about the world... To the extent that mm-hmm. you thought there was chairs in heaven that you knew in a previous life, and that must be the answer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So that I think that that makes a bit more sense to me in that it's something that is slightly inconceivable because all I know mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah, post scientific mm-hmm. revolution. So this is all tying in with like a, a period where there's a lot more movement going on mm-hmm. in the world. People are moving around a lot. I know the Black Death itself causes obviously loads of people to die. And therefore, the feudal system, which is currently in place, breaks down. And the feudal system is where you you live and work the land of the Lord in kind of servitude. 
when the Black Death happens, like the feudal system disintegrates, people start moving around more. They realize they can now sell their labor rather than being in servitude to like landowners and kings and dukes and whatnot. So they start selling things and they start investing more in like traveling further because they can go and buy wool from one place and then sell it for loads more somewhere else where there isn't any wool. And they can just go back and forth and just like making money out of just taking things to different places. And all this is happening without any input from the church or the aristocracy they're like doing it all by themselves this is totally new way of being in the world so this merchant class comes about and yeah they have to start investing loads in navigational understanding so this is understanding like astronomy and looking at the stars and realizing like what the patterns are so they can navigate by the stars and also this means setting up institutions like banks and insurance companies which become very powerful and we'll we'll talk more about that in a second but yeah so when they they invest all this money in looking at the stars they they realize that hold on like this is all really weird like mars does these loop the loops and these new stars appear or these comets start arriving this in the sky and and the sky is kind of chaotic and doing all this crazy stuff so they're stuck by the fact that they think the earth is the center of the Mm, universe mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and all of the maths that they're using is assuming the earth's in the middle Mm. so their maths is like really elaborate and kind of crazy to try and work out what's going on in the stars it's amazing that they actually bothered and made some maths work with that isn't it like it's absolutely insane i would have just given up and gone (laughs) oh yeah Maths, maths isn't true. Yeah. <laughs> I don't <believe> maths. <laughs> Go back to Augustine. Um, so the interesting thing is they're using maths now to try and work all this out. Like to try and work out what the reality of things are. They're not mm. trying to tell a story about the planets. There's not like a mythology that yeah, they're developing yeah. about why Mars is going kind of mm. loopy loopy. But loopy wasn't, sky. Um, so there's astronomy and astrology. Mm-hmm. So astrology is the storytelling, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. both, and I, I'm sure we listened to something that said they were basically side by side and both equally as important. Mm. Well, so astrology still, was more important. Yeah, so there's still this kind of, these parallel worlds are happening. One, yeah. yeah, one is one's the natural world and the other's the supernatural world. Yeah, like so and that's kind of shown even as the scientific revolution mm-hmm. develops, it's still got those two sides to it. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, in some cases, astronomy was almost like a side project to, yeah, I guess, yeah. to make some money for the merchants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, like, seemed to be like, uh, like, like when the internet first happened, it's like, oh, I just won't catch on. Yeah, navigation but yeah so they're using maths to determine things and this is also a step away from from another kind of way of thinking because your original natural sciences with the greeks early early greeks would have been okay what do i deduce with my senses i'm going to walk out into the into a into open savannah right i'm I'm, am i drunk no i'm sober uh am i ill no i'm i'm well what am I viewing? Okay, I'm just watching the sunrise in the east mm-hmm. go over my head and set in the west. And I'll get all my friends together and we'll all watch it. So, so and so therefore That is a boring party. <laughs> <laughs> or something hurts your eyes. Um <laughs> really sunburned. <laughs> uh so they all confirm and, and mm. deduce together 
the sun goes up and around the earth and then it goes underneath and comes back again in the morning mm-hmm. or even pre that it was reborn yeah, through yeah. mythology or whatever but rational logic told yeah, it's you it's a thing you could see it yeah, was kind yeah, of an, yeah, almost yeah, yeah. a tangible thing that you could look at and verify and so copernicus comes along and basically shakes the foundations mm. of how we understand things so it puts more faith in the abstract maths than yeah, what you yeah, can, yeah. what appears like it should be true because he says if you put the sun in the middle, the maths is better. So he has, he has no he has no other evidence to suggest that the sun is in the middle and the Earth revolves. Because who would ever think that? That's mad. A few people did think that before him, mind you. Yeah. Like um, I wouldn't. I'd be uh, one of the thick people who didn't. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> but he sees heliocentrism as being true because the maths is simpler. Like, it simplifies everything. Mm-hmm. It's almost more coherent. Mm-hmm. And so he says, if you put the sun in the middle, then the maths is it's simpler, the maths is better, the maths is more beautiful. Like, it works. Everything kind of locks in now. It's like mm-hmm. you don't have to start changing the orbits of planets or or, mm-hmm. or um, doing weird things in, in, in how they move and thinking about it. They all now go in these heliocentric patterns around the sun. And so what's going on here is there's simultaneously we're now doubting our senses because Mm -hmm. what we saw isn't true but this abstract thing of mathematics becomes the thing that actually is the benchmark for Mm -hmm. um what is what reality is Mm -hmm. what we kind of trusted so it's like now it becomes can you measure it mathematically and then that becomes the reality of things Mm -hmm. What you test on. So now, like, your natural world has lots of measurable stuff, but your supernatural world has hardly any measurable things. So as in, like, you can use maths. So the the natural world is becoming strengthened by Mm -hmm. having maths that's really abstract. And this maths is... So remember we had the the narrative, the normative and the nomological order... Mm-hmm. maths is all about the nomological order what are the rules how does the game work what rules does it work by and all this maths is now telling us the rules of how the game works and as a side note the sword analogy we used earlier that is the normative order of things mm-hmm. and so this is the beginning of the scientific revolution and once we get our head around how all this stuff works the next step is the industrial revolution and then TikTok. Digital age. Black Plague's got TikTok. <laughs> so I think like the elephant in the room here yeah. is the fact that this, wouldn't this have been like hugely blasphemous? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, I think it got a few people burnt. Oh. Certainly some people like uh, uh, banned from doing, doing yeah. I think that um, Galileo and um, Copernicus were, had some works banned. Yeah. And didn't they do lots of like getting summoned by the Pope and then saying, oh, no, I don't believe in any of it, sorry. And then going back to the labs and doing more. Um, This has also made me think of, so it made me think of the phrase doing mental gymnastics, which sometimes I personally apply to when someone is trying to use almost too much logic with the Bible Mm. to kind of say, I can't, um, I won't give a specific example, but it's like, oh, well, no, you know, Christadelphians can't do this or they can do this because of this bit in the Bible. But to make that make sense, it sort of feels like, gosh, there's a lot of jumping back mm-hmm, and forth. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and um, 
it seems like a complicated way to get between those two points. Mm. And I feel like there's a parallel there in mm. looking at thinking that, well, almost our tradition and the comfortable way to think about things is that, of course, the earth is in the middle. But someone coming and saying, actually, it's a lot simpler just to think of it, you know, the maths is better or there's a lot less mental gymnastics you have to do. If actually this was true instead or if mm -hmm, this was... Mm -hmm maybe mm -hmm. you know what the bible meant or what yeah, god meant yeah. and yet it can feel blasphemous yeah, to do yeah. that that was a parallel so, and i think yeah so the main point in like this or leading up to is it we're trying to understand that this logical and rational deductive way of thinking comes after the bible's written and develops to understand the natural world and the mindset of the original writers and readers of the bible would have been far more mystical and like gaining understanding from a mythological way mm. of seeing the world rather than a rational and logical mm. one so it's something that to some extent you're not supposed to be doing mental gymnastics around yeah yeah yeah, yeah i think so yeah, it's, it is absolutely mind-blowing, isn't it, to think that the Bible is written by people with a different mindset, mm. yeah, pre-scientific yeah, yeah. revolution, yeah. all this kind of, these ways yeah, of thinking. Yeah. Mind you, there was a randomised control trial in the Old Testament when Daniel and his friends drank water. Oh, no, it wasn't, wasn't randomised, but it was a control trial. Mm. Yeah, with the vegetables versus Veg king's, yeah, king's yeah. food. Yeah. Sorry, that's a digression. Um, all right. So the timeline leading up to the Protestant Reformation mm -hmm. and its huge societal upheaval, uh, new scientific stuff, and it's the start of the scientific revolution mm -hmm. where people are starting to realise that previously held thoughts about the Bible and the world and how everything sort of fits together yeah, yeah, yeah. is maybe not what we thought mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. Another thing that happens, one of the things that Galileo does, who also kind of, I think he's maybe more famous than Copernicus for heliocentric worldview and its importance. But one of the things he does is he starts to use triangles in a really abstract way by saying this geometric shape uh, can be used to calculate, for example, speed because time over distance equals speed mm. right now there's nothing triangular about speed i can't take a triangle look at it and observe it and work out what how fast something goes yeah it doesn't relate to a literal triangle no so he's this is like another level of abstraction that's being applied mm -hmm. now to this with this mathematics of going okay we can take these physical things distance or abstract things of time and stuff and we can apply them to a geometric shape and and get answers to things mm. and this is another level of like abstraction of like you're not using any of your senses to understand this you're just using this pure mathematics mm. and this algebra which comes along which means that you can do these really complicated mathematical equations that are completely abstracted from from physical reality and still get mm. a, a there's these new like psychotechnologies i guess yeah just going yeah, yeah, off yeah. the scale complex yeah yeah and now this is the world in which martin luther comes into oh we're getting there we're getting there here he comes martin <laughs> so luther close. so luther is an augustinian monk right so that means he's comes from that mystical tradition uh, of neoplatonistic christianity which to remind ourselves that means like 
we can transcend ourselves. We can reach up to God and God will reach down to us. And we have these kind of layers of spirituality that we can move through. And there's an element of like Christians will take a disposition to towards reaching up to God and that will afford God reaching down to them. It's like a reciprocal thing. But but like Luther's, humans have power over like I think the key thing is that humans have power. They have agency and some sort yeah. of sense of, of their own salvation. And Luther thinks that this agency, the human agency part of things has gone has, has corrupted itself within the Catholic Church mm-hmm. because the Catholic Church have these practices now whereby you can pay money for indulgences like if you've sinned then you can actually have a a a currency transaction and it's about works it's like you can now work to earn money and use money to pay for your salvation or like to pay for your forgiveness Mm -hmm. and luther has this now this this problem between faith and works he was particularly annoyed that the catholic church were saying if your parents had died, they're probably in purgatory, but you can pay some money and make sure that they get to heaven. And this was just to fill the coffers of the Catholic Church so that mm-hmm. the, the current Pope or Prince or whatever could make a nice new palace and stuff. And so this mm-hmm. absolute corruption comes in, which which kind of makes Luther consider that kind of top-down, bottom-up relationship that we've been talking about that Neoplatonism distinguishes. And that can also be seen as kind of like faith and works. Works is the bottom-up way of seeing that Neoplatonic uh, ascent, you know. Mm, so you're doing stuff, and at the extreme end, it's paying money to get your parents out of purgatory. Yeah, yeah, so that's what's kind of the, the corrupted version of it. And then you've got the top-down, which is like the divine revelation, which Protestantism kind of leans more heavily towards. So things like in the extreme cases with uh Calvinists who kind of arrive at the same time via a guy called Zwingli, which is a great name, in Sweden. Calvinists have complete predetermination. Like mm-hmm. if you're saved and you only know that you're saved if like, God if when like, you get to heaven or something. Uh, well kind of like <laughs> you have to have a divine revelation as to whether you're saved or not. You have to know you're so so knowing if you're saved has nothing to do with any of your works or anything that you can do it's completely kind of god just picks you so yeah there's this top down bottom bottom approach and there's this emphasis in the top down that luther does as a kind of i guess a pendulum swing away from the catholic church's kind of ability to now buy your your bottom-up approach to uh to salvation Albeit, though, now less through kind of miracles and dreams and and visions and more in the fact that the Bible has been kind of uh, divinely inspired and delivered down to uh, humans to to understand, which kind of leads to a paradox in terms of like the intellectual necessity that is required to understand it. Maybe we'll talk about that in, uh, in another podcast. And the other thing that he does is... He says this thing, you may have come across the phrase sola scripture, which means putting scripture above all else as an authority. Mm. And it's not that Luther wants to get rid of all the traditions of the church and all the rituals and things. He just wants to put a biblical interpretation above all of that. Mm. Um, But again... Does that also come in with the idea of so people can make up their own mind? Like, uh, so the Bible is the authority as opposed to the Pope. Yeah, as in yeah. you can well, read it, study I don't even know if, if that, that's the extreme 
end, end of things. I don't know if Luther was completely against the papacy or anything like that. Mm. I know that he didn't like the corruption at the time of the the Pope and the prince and things, but that doesn't necessarily mean he was against the Pope uh, completely. However, but the, that's what and that's where Protestant ended up. Protestantism branches of it, yes. Yeah. So the Anabaptists in particular uh, can like get rid of all church tradition, start mm. fresh. We're going to go just from the Bible, and and that this is resonant with Christadelphians in mm. in many ways. Uh, which comes a lot later, but yeah, and they got rid of christening as well, didn't they? Infant baptism. Yeah, yeah, because as Christadelphians have also uh, concluded, it, it's not in the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's it's not necessary. Luther wanted to reform the church. He, he never intended for it all to kind of actually end up the way it, it did, and with the fragmentation of the church. But he wants to put the Bible as as a greater authority because I guess he sees that as like maybe a, a failsafe against things like um, purgatory uh, being concocted and uh, uh, what was the word for them where you can buy your oh, indulgences, indulgences yeah. yeah, which are clearly not not scriptural. So he kind of puts that at a, a higher threshold. Whereas previously, like the church tradition was just as important as scripture because it's like this participatory way of being in the world. And, and this, this makes sense in a pre-literate world in which you know God through the liturgy of this church service, the standing, the sitting, the repeating, that all this sort of stuff, because you weren't able to read. Mm. And, well, you weren't able to read Latin for sure, but even maybe your your n- normal language. Interestingly, Protestantism, when as it goes to America, it is in tandem with a high level of literary education. Mm. That's kind of really paramount to the new world and that Protestant way of thinking. Mm. Yeah, it's quite often quite a difference between historically Protestant and Catholic countries, isn't it? Protestant mm. countries mm. tend to have a higher level of sort of academ- academia and that kind of thing. Yeah, and and then that lends itself to again the Christophian community, highly academic, and also it's about what you can understand intellectually mm-hmm. about the Bible. Uh, so that's an interesting cultural point. And one of the interesting things that Luther does is he closes the monasteries, which are places for developing this kind of bottom-up mm-hmm. ability to transcend yourself. And monasteries aren't about knowledge. That was the university. Monastery was about this this kind of participatory, you know... Like enlightenment kind of Yeah, thing. kind of. But, and th- yeah, enlightenment, but through an embodied knowledge, like through through sitting in silence for a long time, mm-hmm. through abstinence through fellowship and liturgy so luther he he closes the monasteries he puts scripture above the tradition of the church which is a a, an emphasis shift and he leans more towards an individual's propositional knowledge of the bible so not this procedural um, experience knowledge through liturgy liturgy being like the church service but through what they understand from an interpretation of the Bible. That becomes more important. And to that end, he gets the uh, Bible translated into German. Uh, And this is the very beginnings of uh, the printing press kind of being established. So he's able to start using that very uh, new technology. So he calls on the congregation as what he calls the 
the priesthood of all believers. So he shifts again the authority of the priesthood and the hierarchy within the church onto everyday people and kind of gives them the uh, responsibility of studying the Bible. Mm-hmm. Whereas before it was like delivered down to them by by priests. And because Luther has this emphasis towards God being the one who who divinely inspires and and uh, reveals things to us, the the human priesthood of the church aren't aren't any more special than anybody else. They they mm-hmm. because humans don't transcend. The monasteries are closed, and that is kind of deemed as something that that humans can't do. Mm. The priests aren't any higher spiritually mm. than anybody else. Because I guess in a more kind of Catholic sense, the priest is a inter what's the word intermediary, intermediary mm. for Jesus, aren't mm-hmm. they? And like mm-hmm. the Pope is like God's representative and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess it's uh, that's then paving the way for a complete rejection of that of sort of hierarchy yeah, yeah, and yeah. higher and like humans on earth being any sort of mm-hmm. like representation. And yeah, take that all the way down the the line, and you get Christadelphians with autonomous. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of reasonably flat structured mm-hmm. uh, church groups. Yeah, so like previously it would have been thought that like specific monks or priests or and of course the Pope were kind of higher up the ladder. Yeah, and almost. saints as well were people who'd... Of course, yeah, 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 to heaven. And so this emphasis shift, as I say, in Anabaptists and Calvinists and other denominations that crop up gets taken to greater extremes and i've just mentioned two other denominations there beforehand there weren't other denominations this is a new thing as well people Mm -hmm. are saying you know what we're going to set up ourselves in this new reformed way uh and we're going to kind of play the game by our own going to be our own group rules Mm -hmm. Mm. and so the fragmentation of the church which was completely unintentional by luther in fact luther was really surprised by the fact that everyone else he thought that by opening up this um responsibility to everybody to interpret the bible you wouldn't get those problems that were arising around purgatory and um i've forgotten the word again indulgences indulgences and it would settle into like a uh, a unified mm-hmm. thing which is kind of like in <laughs> just hindsight. read the bible then we will all agree exactly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we've already kind of said this is like I'm not sure I have already said it in this episode, but this is exactly what happens with the internet. Mm-hmm. Like people thought that the internet was going to bring about kind of ah, now everyone will know what the facts are. Yeah, everyone can the just internet will log on and them. read the truth. Um, we don't have to discuss anything anymore. Or argue. Everyone will have in, in Carter ninety eight um, <laughs> <laughs> at their fingertips, and that's all the facts. So everyone will know what the truth is. And but of course. And world peace. Yeah. yeah. The, um, something very different happened mm-hmm. and postmodernism has arrived with what are facts. Yeah, post-truth. Yeah, very interesting. Now, what John Vavakey, who's the guy I've been kind of listening to to research all of this, what, what he does is he draws a line from Luther and he sees what Luther does is open the door for the beginning of many changes in the Western world. And he, and he draws a line from them to to um, philosophers like Immanuel Kant and a French guy called Foucault. Foucault is like a prominent postmodernist philosopher. 
because what he sees happening is all of these fracturing denominations that come out of the Reformation are all now saying to themselves, we're going to be true to our interpretation of the Bible. We've read the Bible now for ourselves. We don't have this kind of obstacle of um, the hierarchy in the, in the church. Obviously, this lots of people died in this period because they, they did stand up against the church. But as that kind of mm. culture and stuff still continues on and, and it's, it's never squashed out by the policing of, mm-hmm. of beliefs, it, it ends up with, yeah, this ability to say, we've arrived at the truth. And we're going to be true to that. Um, and we're going to be steadfast in our interpretation. Um, interpretation of it. We're going to also have proof texts to back everything up. It becomes very rational, this does. And what he, what he says is, this This goes through to, to Kant and Foucault in the postmodernist way. Because, well, let me let me bring in the other part of, of the story from this era, which we've talked about already, this, this merchant class that's arriving, who are developing a wealth for themselves separate from church and aristocracy and are able to gain more political power because they're starting things like banks and insurance companies and they are financing all sorts of things. That means the state has to kind of take notice of them. And... As these two ideas run parallel, one is being true to your interpretation of the Bible mm-hmm. and the other is uh, being able to better yourself because this bettering of yourself continues in the capitalist world despite it kind of slowing down in the religious world mm-hmm. because, because Luther says you can't better yourself. Now all of that energy goes into bettering yourself financially mm-hmm. and through business and you get what's called the Protestant work ethic, which kind of goes forward into uh, Quaker uh, cars, biscuit factory. Quaker cars? Quaker, no, cars, <laughs> the family cars. And um, You can just clarify the the crackers like the crackers. biscuits and crackers are yeah. made by the cars family not, not, not Quaker car. cars made out of biscuits <laughs> yeah made out of oats <laughs> <laughs> very um uh energy efficient though that would be anyway slowly, slowly. Uh, also you've got Bourneville Cadbury's um, round trees round trees these kind of people who invest everything back into their communities, mm-hmm. back into building uh, schools and communities and houses. and Making really unhealthy food. Making really unhealthy food. Doing a lot of it off of the back of the slave trade as Let's well. Let's not think about that, sure. There's all that kind of complexity to it and stuff. But they had this Protestant work ethic, which is like, I can't now better myself spiritually. I'll have to better myself or like, where's the energy going to go? It's going to go mm. into like this business side of things. But also, that was a religious ethic, wasn't it? You know, like Cabaret, uh, like building like the whole of Bourneville, like mm, this mm. place that's still an incredibly beautiful place yeah. and beautiful houses to live in, because come visit. They wanted, <laughs> um, because they wanted the best for their workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, a morality yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's Langs as well. My grandpa, my grandpa used to work for like my grandma still kind of looked after through his pension yeah, and everything yeah, they yeah, do yeah, because yeah. it was a, such a benevolent sort of Christian yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. yeah, obviously the the bettering of yourself does not mean that you neglect any m- moral duties in things. And so, yeah, that all, that all happens. So this, this is kind of happening in, in tandem. However, as we move through history and you get 
secularism rising and the religious sentiment falling away, people stopping going to church, um, uh, you know, Nietzsche famously saying, like, God is dead. Primark. <laughs> God's not in Primark. No, uh, and all this no sort of stuff. You get this thing of, like, what are we true to now? We were true to this interpretation of the Bible that, that, that bound our Quaker community together because of our specific interpretation. And, yeah, as you pull that into the, the last century, that is now what are you true to? And the only thing that you're true to now is this kind of commercial side of things. Mm. Uh, okay, I'm going to be true to the business. I'm going to work for the man. I'm going to, you know, become the boss or whatever. I'm, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And then with the digital age and Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, the main mantra is to be true to yourself. And this shift from your allegiance to the, the kind of a group or community. Yeah, and even before that, like the Catholic Church is kind of <laughs> the allegiance to this way of being in the world, this kind of Neoplatonic way of being in the world in which you deeply trusted sages and priests and what monks and whatnot to it kind of fracturing to the different denominations and then that again fracturing to the different corporate world things and fracturing again to just individualism in total and this kind of what you're true to becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. until it's just you until it's just mm. you and like well i just have to be true to myself and you make a glittery myspace page with that written on it or something and that that's your identity now mm-hmm. and that's like really vapid <laughs> and and this is why john bevakis created the series called awakening from the meaning crisis because it's ended in this meaning crisis now we've come we've come from luther here but n- none of this is luther's fault this is and and the reformistic wave was happening a- along with luther there was other people as involved as well and it's this kind of it's this trajectory that it kind of sets us on um, but that's also not to say like protestantism was a bad thing it it, it obviously met the need of corruption at the, the time but it is this kind of thing of like it's a step away from this participatory mm, again what's being lost thing. by shedding mm. up shedding away these sort of layers and and that's really interesting and maybe future episodes of this podcast will will look more into that but for now i think we're we're, we're going to bring this one to a close kind of with that really the end point of of where all this takes us is an individualistic postmodern society that is fractured so we've talked about the protestant reformation so what are the most important things that for you as a christadelphian why is it important why is it good to know about that history as a christadelphian i think for me my understanding of the protestant reformation before was kind of like presented in a very positive light like up the protestants down with the catholics look how terrible the Catholics were and, you know, the corruption that they had. And, but I had never had it couched in the in the greater history of the conversation around, like, the relationship with God and that top-down, bottom-up sort of thing. And I think that's that's really useful for me. And then also hearing it couched in the cultural context of the time of the kind of the merchant classes coming together uh, and the effects of the Protestant Reformation. I mean, we were picking them out and they were resonating with Christodelphian thinking, mm-hmm. weren't they? Like um, uh, a flat structure. For me, that was just like, yeah, well, great. That's just the best way to do it. 
when I had before. Mm. But there's this kind of there's a history to that. There's a yeah. history to that, mm-hmm. and it's kind of all revolves around this Neoplatonic language that everyone else is using to discuss this whole thing, and having that Neoplatonic language. And by Neoplatonic language, you mean just when you talk about being able to change your status, about higher things being above, being able to ascend, descend, Mm, that mm -hmm, kind of thing. mm -hmm. Yeah, and not realising that Luther had that vocabulary and grammar and understood that. I don't know if you realise completely what he was doing, but like the the consequences to what he was doing to that grammar um, really affect the way that Christian history unravels. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Hope f- people found that interesting and uh, useful. We m- maybe next time we'll look at Descartes because that's really interesting. He he has a huge effect on on the West. Right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.